What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 36, the Merton Hanks edition of the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, a man who looks quite satisfied with my name selection for today's show, Levin Black. Yeah, you've actually been on it. Normally, I disagree, but the last, like, three weeks, it's been, there are obvious choices to be had here, and you've picked them. We got a little rubberneck this week. Can you do favorites. the rubberneck? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, I don't think you can without some sort of chiropractor visit afterwards. <laughs> I still don't know how he did that, but unforgettable. I don't even know if Akash knows who Merton Hanks was. Some of these young kids. I know. I that was think. always like the thing growing up, not in San Francisco, that I would watch the highlights for in the evening of, did Merton Hanks score and do I get to see the rubberneck? Like that was my favorite thing to see in Niners highlight packages. (laughs) I just liked it because he was a Merton Hanks, really good player. He knew he had a freakishly long neck and he embraced it. He jumped in with both feet and run from it. He, he, you know, it made it his thing. Yeah. I don't think people quite understand who are either young and grew up in the age of YouTube or grew up in the Bay area, which is means a majority of Niner fans, this falls under, I don't think they understand what it's like growing up outside of the Bay Area, outside of California altogether, back before the internet was a thing, especially video on the internet was a thing. Like, you lived for the evening highlight packages or the handful of games that they might be in primetime, which for the Niners was actually a handful of games. For other teams in the 90s, it might have only been, you get one time seeing your favorite team. So, like, you had this, like, obsession of not missing the highlight package of your team because if you missed it you didn't get a seat again you would have to wait until the late showing which you were a kid so you didn't get to do that so it was like just an obsession of sitting and waiting and hoping maybe we see the martin hanks thing because there was no going and looking up a highlight package for me it was nfl primetime with berman and tom jackson i used to put a piece of paper i would tape a piece of paper over the bottom of the screen so i couldn't see the score of the 49ers game because i liked it better watching the highlights not knowing who won and i would literally just wait and wait and wait and they always had the niners game late in the show because the niners were usually playing the late game so they needed time to put all the highlights together that was like the highlight of my sunday was watching berman and tom jackson do the niners game in nfl primetime yeah back before cell phones or laptops i guess would be the real first thing because i used to sit on the couch with a laptop before a smartphone existed you didn't know the scores of the games until you tuned into the highlight show necessarily so i used to freaking hate that bottom thing like it was great when you're watching the one game so you can kind of keep track of what the other scores were but once you're watching the highlight show it's like don't ruin the freaking score of the game like there was nothing worse than watching a highlight package of a game you didn't actually know the end score on. And on the bottom, at the same time that highlight <laughs> package is on, they give you the final score. It's like, come on. Yep. You can't, you can't like change the timing of that. Don't show the score of the game. I'm watching highlights though. And no matter how much I tried to not look at it, I always seemed to look at it at the worst time, right when that game was on the screen. So that's why I literally had to cover it up because I couldn't stop myself. And now I feel really, really old. Um, A couple of things we're going to do on today's show. There was an article from Matt Barrows in The Athletic about the 49ers and about John Beck, who you might not even know used to play quarterback in the NFL. He is becoming 
a very significant factor in who the 49ers are going to pick at number three. So we're going to talk about that. And then I have pulled out a couple of nuggets, Levin. I didn't even tell you about this. I've pulled out a couple nuggets. I have been studying the draft guide from The Athletic. I think it's by uh, Dane Brugler, I want to say. And the thing is, it's a monster. It's a beast. It's got info on all these guys. So I have pulled out some nuggets on the quarterback, and I want to ask you if it's a big deal or if it's not a big deal. Are you down for that? No. What am I supposed to answer there? <laughs> of course. I suppose you could say no. It would be a shorter episode. <laughs> All right. Let's start with this Barrows article. Um, I thought it was fascinating. For people that don't know, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, don't worry. We got you covered. Basically, John Beck is the quarterback coach that's working with Justin Fields. He's been working with him for months. And Barrows talked to him about fields and about some of the different things he's doing. But the interesting part of this, and it jumped out to you, Levin, in the article, it says that Trey Lance has recently started working out with John Beck. Does that tell you that maybe Lance is in the mix more than we think? Yeah, because he only started three weeks ago. When did the Niners trade up to number three? Around that same time, like. I don't think it's a coincidence. Now, John Beck is one of the best quarterback coaches, so it could just be Lance sought him out. But that seems more unlikely than Kyle Shanahan had the number three pick, and he reached out to John Beck, who he coached when he was in Washington. John Beck was a backup uh, about 10 years ago for Kyle Shanahan, and now he's become a guru of QB coaches. I would think Kyle reached out and said, hey, Go contact Lance. Tell him that if he wants to get real consideration for the number three pick, he needs to work with you so that I can get some info. I think that is more likely than Lance just sought out John Beck. I totally agree with you. And not only does Lance, uh, excuse me, Beck know the system from his time in Washington, but he also works with Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, and C.J. Beathard. And so he even says in the article, like he has a really good idea of how the 49ers offense works because he's worked so often with the three quarterbacks that were on the team. So I think the 49ers are kind of using John Beck as a way to essentially get workouts with these guys in a year that you can't hold a private workout. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And look, the article leads off right off the bat that Kyle Shanahan is calling John Beck around the clock. So in a lot of ways, they're skirting rules here. I mean... That's the way the NFL works. If you can bend a rule, bend it. John Beck is essentially a um, lead scout or coach for the 49ers right now. He is giving them everything they want. They are. He probably is even taking some direction from Kyle in terms of what to put them through. And, you know, that kind of skirts an issue. But, I mean, if John Gruden doesn't get fined for tampering, then... They shouldn't get in trouble for this. John Beck is his own guy. He's not paid by the Niners in any way, shape, or form. It's just a a benefit you get from having a very well-connected coach. And other teams were at the Justin Fields workout today. You know, the Patriots were there. The Falcons were there. There's a few things from that I want to get to. But the first thing that jumps out to me, Levin, is after reading this article, it occurred to me that there are two people that are going to have a massive amount of influence over who gets picked at number three, and neither one of them are paid by the San Francisco 49ers. One is John Beck in this article, and the other is Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad, who we know 
has a video hookup to the 49ers. He sees every drill, every practice, everything. He gets it uploaded to his computer system about a half hour after it happens. And he obviously has Kyle's ear. Those two guys are going to be a huge factor in who gets picked. They might be bigger factors than the actual scouts. Like, Let's be honest. Like The insight John Beck can give is so much more detailed and specific than any scout can give because the scout is only getting to observe, whereas John Beck is getting to direct. And he's going to get to know the mind of these quarterbacks better than your scouts can get. So I think John Beck is going to be a very, very big part of the initial evaluation and everything else will kind of build off that. You know, like they will start with John Beck's input and then they'll start weighing in and adding things that they've seen or or that they want to add or subtract. But I think a lot of it's going to be built off of John Beck's notes. I think right now John Beck has more influence than John Lynch. Yeah. I would agree with that. I don't think John Lynch has a whole lot of influence. This is definitely the thing since they have taken over that is, all right, Kyle, you're getting your guy, sink or swim. This is my worry. And, you know, maybe I'm just like too negative here. But remember that report that came out from Matt Miller before the 2019 season that there was tension between Kyle Shanahan and the scouts, that the scouts felt that Kyle wasn't valuing their input enough. And it's sort of the Niners denied it. It sort of got crushed by people. But the Niners also went 13 and three that year and went to the Super Bowl. And winning is the ultimate deodorant. You know, nobody's going to complain when the team is going to the Super Bowl. They don't care how much Kyle Shanahan is listening to the scouts because it's working. Well, this could be a situation, Levin, where maybe the Niners scouts like Mac Jones or Trey Lance or whoever it is. And maybe Kyle and Mike Shanahan and John Beck like Justin Fields, let's say. If that pick doesn't work out, that whole organization, there's a massive rift in that organization, right? Because the scouts are going to be like, we never should have picked this guy. Who are you listening to? Why aren't you listening to us? Like the whole thing just blows up. Potentially. You know, I'm not sure it's necessarily Kyle's job to listen to the scouts. That's what Adam Peters is there for. In my opinion, it is Adam Peters listens to the scouts, deciphers it, and then comes to Kyle. And then it's between Kyle, Lynch, and Peters to come to decisions with Kyle having final say. You know what I mean? Like, why would Kyle waste his time talking to a whole bunch of individual scouts when he can have somebody he trusts do that, basically delegating to Peters, okay, listen to the scouts, tell me the important shit, so that I don't waste my time talking to 10 or however many, I don't even know exactly how many scouts the Niners have. You know what I mean? Like, delegate that. Right, but my point is, they're going to make a recommendation. And if Kyle goes against that recommendation and it doesn't work out and the scouts feel like, what are we even doing here when Kyle's just going to go with whoever Mike said, whoever Mike Shanahan says, and whoever John Beck says, what's the point of us being here? Like that's when there's an organizational problem. Yes and no. I mean, you know, I don't think it's all that uncommon to go against your scouts. You probably see that in the mid rounds, especially where a coach is taking a guy that he thinks he can get to contribute faster, not necessarily the guy that has the highest potential or that was recommended by the scouts. And it's not the scouts job to get to make the decisions. Their job is to collect input and to give that to the people who get to make the decisions. If you're upset that they don't go with your decisions, 
then you need to reevaluate what you're wanting to do here because your job's not to make those decisions. You know, know your role. The other takeaway from today's pro day I had involves the Patriots being there because it's one thing for the Falcons to be there at four, right? If the 49ers take Trey Lance, Justin Fields, they may be draft Justin Fields. That makes sense. Well, the Patriots are not exactly in striking distance of a quarterback. They're going to have to trade up if they want to get one of these guys. I think the real reason the Patriots were there, or the primary reason, let's say, is to talk to Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, Rich Scangarello, talk to all those dudes about a Jimmy Garoppolo deal. That is my theory. I'm wondering if maybe the Patriots said to the 49ers, look, we know you're drafting a quarterback. Stop bullshitting. Stop yanking our chain. Final offer. What is it going to take to get this guy? And if you if you mess around with us, that's it. We're moving on. Don't bother calling us during the draft. <laughs> I don't doubt the Patriots are there in part to talk trade, but I do think that they're also there to basically give themselves a backup plan. I don't think they're opposed to trading up and trying to get one of the quarterbacks. So if the Niners are being stubborn on their asking price for Jimmy Garoppolo, then they need to do their due diligence because they are the team outside of the top 10 that would be wanting to trade into the top 10 to get one of these quarterbacks, to put it that way. They, they sit at 15. That's like prime position to trade up and try to get one of these quarterbacks. And if they're not liking the Niners' stance on Garoppolo, whether that is their price is way too high or that they're truly committed to keeping Jimmy around to the point where you kind of kind of make them an offer they can't refuse, then they got to be there. They got to do their due diligence, even though it's not likely Lance or Fields makes it that low. The guy, about the only guy I could see making it to number 10, say, is Mac Jones. Like I could see Mac falling. The other guys, they have too high of upside for somebody to not come up and grab them if they're sitting there at six, seven, eight. The other possibility is that the Patriots want to talk to the Falcons brass about trading up to number four. That's I'm sure those conversations have taken place too, because there's still going to be, you know, Fields or Lance, I believe one of those guys is going to be there at number four. And if the Patriots want to get aggressive, they, you know, Atlanta, I think would be open to trading down. So that's a possibility too. It made a ton of sense for the Patriots to have people there today. Yeah, it did. And I think that's one of the telling things about these pro days. One of the overall take uh, points I take from this is that Lance and Fields were both willing to set up second pro days. And let's be honest, they set them up because they want to be the number three pick. They set them up because the Niners are wanting this. This is them trying to get that number three pick because the number two pick is pretty much already known. But there's one guy who didn't. Now, Obviously, Mac Jones already, Alabama already had two pro days. So maybe they just decided not to. Or it could be that Kyle never even requested it because Mac Jones is a 100% a smokescreen. And that is something I take away from the pro day as well as the John Beck stuff. Because Mac Jones hasn't worked with John Beck to the best of our knowledge. So why not? Is it that Kyle never asked John Beck to try to work with him like he did we would assume with Lance or is it the Mac Jones said no and is being stubborn and thus probably pretty dumb to say, no, I have my own coaches. I'm good. One of those two is likely this, the scenario that either John Beck never reached out or that Mac Jones said, I don't need to do that. I feel confident in my own coaches. I'm sure that would go over real well with Kyle Shanahan also like 
you want a guy that says, yeah, I want to be the number three overall pick. I'll do whatever you want. Like, that's one of the things I, I liked when, from Justin Fields. He's basically like, I'll throw. I'll throw for whoever wants me to throw. Like, he wants to go as high as possible. And to be honest with you, I mean, I don't think that there's a better landing spot for a quarterback than with Kyle Shanahan right now in the 49ers team. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is great, but he's going to Jacksonville with Daryl Bevel as his offensive coordinator and, and Urban Meyer. Like, I'm pretty sure he'd rather be in San Francisco with one of the best play callers in all the football. So why wouldn't you want to be the number three overall pick? You know, that that's a point that I've kind of hinted around on here and on Twitter. And it, it, it's too hard to go back and look at all the previous drafts. But I would guess that if it's not the most, then it is very close and in the running and in the argument for the best landing spot of all time in the top five of a draft for a quarterback. Because it's literally a championship roster with what is considered the best or second best, depending on where you put Andy Reid, offensive mind in the league with young, great wide receivers, one of the best receiving tight ends in the league. Like you got literally everything perfect for a quarterback. And I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of the league. Now, yeah, you've had that at like 10, 15, 20, where a team didn't quite have the season they had or were able to trade up. I don't think you've ever had that in the top five. Like that's very rare to have a team that is literally dominant and already shown that they can be dominant just sitting there waiting on the quarterback. You're right. Normally teams that pick this high don't have a roster this good. I think that there is going to be more pressure on whoever the 49ers pick than anybody else in this draft, even more than Trevor Lawrence. Nobody expects Trevor Lawrence to be good. They could win two games this year and no one's going to say Trevor Lawrence is a bust. But whoever the 49ers pick, especially if they trade Jimmy Garoppolo, which I think they will, the, the pressure on that person is unlike anything we've seen in recent history. All right. So there, there's two ways this can go because the upside is a bunch of championships. The player is one of the best in history. The downside is that they're in contention for playoffs every single year, and it's more about what seed they get in the playoffs, but then they never do anything in the playoffs. The Niners aren't going to miss on this pick to the point where, oh, here they are winning four, five, six games every year. The roster's too good. So yesterday was the Trey Lance episode on the Shanna plan, and they started talking about comps for Trey Lance. And one of the names that they came up with was Colin Kaepernick, which I thought was interesting. And one was Donovan McNabb. You know, a lot of times we tend to think of this pick as, well, he's either going to be a bust or he's going to be, you know, franchise all-star Pro Bowl quarterback. What if he is someone like Donovan McNabb, who for a short period of time was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, not a Hall of Famer, you know, a really good quarterback, a really dangerous quarterback, went to four straight NFC championship games, I believe. Like, there's a it's more likely that the 49ers end up with someone like that, right? Look, I I would put this draft pick as almost bust proof. Now, some people might look at a bust being that they simply don't ever win a Super Bowl with him. But this quarterback is coming into such a great situation that I think the lowest you can go in terms of what they end up being is like a Jared Goff. Now, you can call Jared Goff a bust. I don't think he's that good, but the simple fact of the matter is he's put up 4,000-yard seasons and and a 30-touchdown season, so you can't really quite call him a bust. He's just not a difference maker of a quarterback. But this situation is so good, it's a lot like that, where the quarterback is going to put up enough numbers and win enough games 
because of the talent around him and the coaching that he has, that he's not going to just fall on his face. This isn't going to be a Ryan Leaf or anything like that just because of the talent around him. God, I hope not. I mean, history says that some of these quarterbacks are not going to be good. It's very rare you get a quarterback class where two quarterbacks are really good, let alone three or four. I mean, everybody knows now the last time the draft had three quarterbacks picked in a row right at the top was 1999. That was Akili Smith, Tim Couch, and Donovan McNabb, oddly enough. And two of those guys were horrible. Although Tim Couch was affected by injuries, I think. He wasn't as bad as Akili Smith. Akili Smith was miserable. But Usually, not all these guys are good. Tim Couch was, I think he had a real chance in the beginning, and the roster around him was so god-awful that eventually his confidence went. Because he he had a decent rookie season. Now, if you go back and look at it, you're going to go, no, that's a horrible rookie season. What are you talking about? For that time and era, it used to be rookies were god-awful. So if they showed anything, hey, that was a decent rookie season. You know, I I said on this, I think it was the last episode, might have been the episode before. Peyton Manning led the league in interceptions as a rookie. He did not have a good rookie season. But as rookies go back then in that era, it was a pretty good rookie season. I mean, he set the passing yards record for rookies that wasn't broken, I think, until Cam Newton came around. So you have to kind of adjust. And if you go back and look at him, like, he wasn't just a bust right off the gate. He just had no support, like nothing. He, He was left out to dry. Now, Akili Smith couldn't even get on the damn field. So Peyton still has the record for rookie interceptions, which he hates, by the way. And he has said many times he wants someone to take that record from, I think it's like 28. Yeah, it's not going to be broken. If you're throwing that many interceptions, (laughs) you're getting pulled. Like you you can't throw that many, not in today's game. And that's what's changed. Like it used to be cornerbacks could manhandle receivers and that led to a lot more interceptions because a receiver is supposed to be at a certain spot at a certain time. And, oh, guess what? It's the defensive back that's there and the receiver is getting flung behind him because <laughs> he's getting manhandled. Like, you're just not going to see that. And that's why people like basically anybody can come in and quickly process a defense is going to look really good as a rookie. That's the only requirement these days because you can have all the timing routes you want because the receivers can't really be touched. You know, like, it's just up to you to be able to read pre-snap where the blitz is coming from. You know, it's been simplified in a lot of ways for rookie quarterbacks. And thank God, because I've been saying the 49ers could make a Super Bowl run if they pick the right guy, and I've been getting skewered for it by the uh, hosts of the SB Nation NFL show. So I need that reinforcement from you that makes me, you know, hold firm in my position. So you're saying you need me. Got it. Once in a while. All right, let's take a break because I recover from that. When we come back, I have picked out a couple of nuggets about some of these quarterbacks. I want to get Levin's opinion whether they are a big deal or not a big deal. So we'll do that after the break. Welcome back to the Niners Nation podcast. This is episode 36 of the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, Levin, I have been combing through the various draft guides and I have found little interesting nuggets, I think, about some of the quarterbacks and I want you to tell me whether you think it is a big deal or not a big deal. First, let's start with Mac Jones. This, let me just read to you from the athletics draft guide. The last thing it says in bold in the summary for Mac Jones quote, overall Jones doesn't have elite level mobility or arm strength, but he is good enough in those areas and he is poised, hyper competitive and doesn't make mistakes. He projects as a high floor NFL starter i have said many times 
I think quarterback is as much about the neck up as it is about the neck down. Does it worry you that everything special about Mac Jones is from the neck up? Worry, yes, because, you know, we keep saying the same thing, but it's true. The neck up is the hardest part to get a true feel for in a draft prospect because nobody's going to give you an honest answer. You can ask their coaches. You can ask their teammates. They're biased. They're going to go, oh, yeah, he's great because they don't want to be the jerk who tanked the guy's stock by saying, no, he's never in the film room. Like, nobody does that. So it's really hard to get a real read on the mind part of an NFL draft prospect. But I don't necessarily disagree. The, the, the fact that he's not a great athlete isn't that big of a deal to me because you don't have to be a great athlete to be a really, really good quarterback. But it does make the degree of difficulty harder. Because you can't get away with things. You can't make a mistake. You can't miss a read and be late to it and then go, oh, well, and then run for 10 yards. You know, like you have to hit your spots and make your correct reads. And that just raises the degree of difficulty. And we see that with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like if he doesn't make the right read at the right time, he is screwed. The play is over. There's not going to be a positive coming out of it. Yeah, and then he pats the ball, and then that's when I really start to clench because I feel like when the throw doesn't come out on time, that's when Jimmy throws his interceptions. It used to give me all sorts of agita every week watching him play. When he gets ballerina feet, that's when I worry. (laughs) God, you could see it. It, Oh, it would happen so often, and I think the injuries, too, piled up, I think, gave him ballerina feet even more often than he would normally have. But let's focus on more of the rookies. How about this from Trey Lance? Faced only one second half deficit in his entire career. And you don't think that's a big deal at all? No, because you're either a good quarterback or you're not. You know, he won a national championship. So you're going to sit here like that's what that's getting at is, oh, he doesn't have experience being clutch. Okay, well, he won a national championship. Well, like, because do you have experience dealing with adversity? I mean, he's only thrown what he his whole first year, main year as a starter. He threw no interceptions. He's never faced a second half deficit. What do we know about this guy? How he handles adversity? That's where your draft eval, and that's part of that mind thing. You have to figure out: Are they strong? Now, I would argue he was a 19 year old freaking kid who dominated the league and had one of the most dominant seasons ever at that level on the way to a championship. So I think he's pretty mentally strong because he had all the pressure in the world stepping in as a 19-year-old. He was replacing Carson Wentz, who was a big-time NFL, everybody knows him, and Easton Stick, who was the most decorated, I guess, quarterback in that program's history, which is a dynasty in the FCS level. They've won, I don't even know how many national championships now i think it's like something like six or seven national championships just in the last decade they absolutely dominate that level and so he had a ton of pressure on him because he was replacing carson winston he was replacing easton stick who had all the program's passing records because he was a starter longer than carson Wentz. so like he stepped in and he dominated as a 19 year old that's fair that's a fair response You're right. I mean, he's super young. He's not going to turn 21 until the season begins, I believe, which is insane. Like he could literally start an NFL game and then not be able to go out for beers afterwards with his teammates, which, you know, I'm sure that's not exactly stopping him from drinking, but you know what I mean? Um, All right. Let me compare it to Justin Fields then before we move on, because Justin Fields, 
has dealt with pressure always. He was the number two recruit coming out of high school. Only Trevor Lawrence was ahead of Justin Fields coming out of high school. He transfers. He goes to Georgia. He transfers to Ohio State, leads them to the college football playoffs both years. He has always had the spotlight on him, and he's largely delivered in the spotlight. To me, that matters because, like we just talked about, the pressure that's going to be on this pick, that's not going to be new to Justin Fields where it might be to a guy like Trey Lance. There's one key difference here between him and Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields, I at least get the sense, has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he's always been second. Even though in terms of actual prospect-wise, he would be in the running for number one in a lot of drafts. And yet here he is not even ever being truly considered the number one pick. And he was not the number one recruit. And he's always played second fiddle to Trevor Lawrence. And I think that gives him a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and part of what drives him. Whereas that is my big concern with Trevor Lawrence. Sorry to kind of divert here, but Trevor Lawrence has always been seen as this prodigy and you kind of see it in his demeanor. Like he's so laid back. He's like, yeah, whatever. That my concern is, is how driven is he? Because you want to talk about never facing adversity. He's never been questioned. And That's some true. people's egos eat them alive the moment they're questioned for the first time and they they don't react well. You know, some people, they get questioned, they get mad and they get driven to be better. Some people who never dealt with that their entire lives finally get questioned and they're like, well, F you guys, you know, <laughs> and they start shutting down like, do I think Trevor Lawrence would make a good quarterback? Yeah. Do I have concerns? Yes. Would I take him number one overall? I'm not actually all that sure I would take him first just because I don't like his demeanor. His demeanor worries me. And if you've, I mean, we saw a perfect example of this last year with Carson Wentz and the Eagles. The second they benched him, and he was the worst starting quarterback in the league last year. But the second they benched him, he was done. He was done with the team. He knew he wanted out. He said as much that he knew his relationship with the Eagles was over when he got benched. Like he did not take that as an opportunity to reflect and maybe say, hey, I need to change some things. I need to grow and get better. And here's where I can improve. He was just like, how dare they question me? And of course, he gets traded, you know, the deal to the Colts. So now he thinks like, hey, I must be doing something right. Some team wanted me. They gave up stuff to get me. So, you know, we'll see if he can take the hard coaching. But that's a fair that's a fair point. I like the idea of Fields having a little chip on his shoulder, especially because not only is he, again, not beating out Trevor Lawrence, by all indications, and from what the Jets have said, Fields isn't even going to be the number two pick because the Jets seemingly are locked in on Zach Wilson of BYU. So he could be sitting there saying, I'm the best damn quarterback in this draft, and I'm number three. Yeah, like, since he went to college, like, what happened? He went to Georgia. He didn't win the starting job from Jake Fromm. And yet when he came in and got opportunities here and there because they kind of split a little bit of time, he looked great. And yet he still couldn't get the job, so he transferred out. Now he's going into the draft after being doubted, after going to Ohio State, and like you said, getting to the college playoff. Both years he started and pretty much doing everything he possibly could to look like the real deal Instead of being people saying, okay, he's the real deal, maybe we should consider him over Trevor Lawrence, they go, oh, no, this this other guy just came out of nowhere, and sorry, you're number three now. Like, he has to be asking himself, what else can I do? Screw you guys. You know, like, you keep doubting me, and you keep knocking me down, and all I do is sit here and do everything I'm supposed to do. 
Right. Like, and you know, Zach Wilson's at BYU. He's playing a bunch of tomato cans on the schedule. Justin Fields is at Ohio state playing one of the toughest schedules in the country. Like he's got every reason to, to think that at worst he should be number two in this draft, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. My last little nugget there is for Justin Fields. He has 12 fumbles over the last two years. Does that concern you? Yeah, yes and no. That That's one of the things that I think is easier to kind of fix. It's basically just being aware. Like, could it be something that rears its head early in his career? Certainly. But this isn't going to be a Tony Banks situation. <laughs> he, he's good enough to be able to fix it. And now those of you who don't know a Tony Banks reference, go look it up. He is the king of fumbling for quarterbacks. <laughs> Turnovers have killed this team. They've killed the 49ers. That seems to be the only thing that can stop this offense from consistently going down the field. I've seen it with Mullins and Bethard and Garoppolo, interceptions and fumbles. So I do worry that a guy, especially a guy with some mobility that's going to be out there on the run, if he does have a little bit of a fumbling issue, because that is the number one thing the 49ers have to cut out is turnovers. And I I just... That's that I saw that and I was like, damn, 12 fumbles in two years. That's a concern for me. Yeah, but I mean, the first time he scrambles and fumbles, we're going to see that Kyle Shanahan stare. Yeah, we are. (laughs) He's going to get stared down and it's going to be if you ever want to freaking scramble again, you cover up the ball. I don't care what you do scrambling. Don't take a big hit and hold the ball with both hands. I would rather you get a five-yard scramble and we have third down than you do a miraculous stuff and risk a fumble to get 15 in the first down. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's going to be the case, too, just for actual scrambling. Kyle is going to make it known if he takes one of these mobile quarterbacks, whether it's Lance or Fields, that you don't take a big hit. You're not risking injury. I traded way too much to get you. You're way too important to this team. I don't care what it is, we will get the first down some other way. <laughs> Don't take a big hit. And I think that would actually be a a bigger issue for a Trey Lance because Trey Lance is a big freaking dude and he runs over people. And you see it in the highlights where he's just trucking people. That's not going to fly in the NFL. Like, is he big enough to truck some people? Certainly. Does Kyle want to see that? No. Yeah, 6'4", basically 225 for Trey Lance he's he's a mutant and he didn't run but the from what i've seen online he they think he runs basically like a four five which as a quarterback is is fast now justin fields runs like a four four which is insane but lance obviously he's got some wheels too he just didn't want to run the 40 because he knew he was going to be slower than justin fields sorry you don't sound too concerned about any of those things i brought up no i mean part of it is i know what they are as prospects like I'm not overly concerned about really anything with these prospects. I think they're all, I wouldn't say top five because I don't think Mac Jones is a top five, but Mac Jones being top 10. Yeah, I could see him being a pretty good top 10. The only real big concern I have with any of these is Mac Jones mental makeup in terms of discipline because he has the DUI and he's chubby. Like, those two things concern me. And I actually got in a Twitter spat with Uh-oh. one of Niner Nation's writers. Rich Madrid, I saw it. Yeah, that he doesn't care whatsoever that 
Mac Jones is a little bit out of shape. He doesn't think that matters whatsoever. I'm sorry, when you're evaluating a prospect, could somebody be a dominant quarterback and be slightly out of shape if he's not a mobile runner? Yeah, but you got to look at every little thing and the mental makeup of a quarterback is a big deal. And when somebody's not doing everything they possibly can to maximize their abilities, that is a concern. Like, I don't understand how that's not a concern to somebody when you're evaluating a prospect because you want somebody as an NFL player, doesn't matter the position, that is obsessed with giving every last ounce of talent and ability that they have. And Mac Jones doesn't do that. And that is a concern. And so much of this success is going to be the meshing of the personalities between Kyle Shanahan and whichever quarterback they draft. And what do we know about Kyle? Dude's a grinder. Like, he is in for the long haul. He's up early. He's staying late. He's not like the Bruce Arians type coach who's like, hey, go to your kids' recitals and all that. Like, he eats, sleeps, and breathes football. He needs a quarterback that's the same way. If he has someone that's a little more laid back, that's not, you know, like you said, literally maximizing every minute of every day, that's going to lead to some frustration, I think, on his part. So part of this is going to be the matching of the personalities between Kyle and whoever they take. Right. And, you know, Rich's point was you don't need a six pack to be a great quarterback. Sure. sure, But that's not that's not the point I was arguing. The right. point is you're trying to evaluate a person and what they can be. And if they're not obsessed with giving everything that they've got, that is a red flag when you're talking about a draft prospect. You haven't seen him in the league. You don't know what he's capable of. Now, if this was a, a Pro Bowl free agent quarterback who had been a little bit out of shape, like say Big, Big Ben hit the free agent market at some point during his career, well, you know he can produce at a dominant level already. So you're not as concerned. But you are concerned about a player that you don't know how well they're going to study film. You don't know how dedicated they're going to be. That is the hardest thing, yet also probably the most important thing about what makes a great quarterback great. Every single great quarterback in this league, at least in recent history, since film became readily available, has been obsessive about watching film. So if he's not obsessive about getting the most out of his body, is he obsessive about watching film? Like, you can't know that. So you just have to downgrade him a little bit when you see that. There has to be some way to rank these guys. You can only take one. So you have to differentiate between them somehow. So everything becomes a factor. I agree with you. Like, yeah, maybe you're splitting hairs, but you have to rank them somehow. There needs to be a rubric there to make your decision. And uh, I kind of agree with you. If you're not in the gym, which clearly you're not, then you're doing something else. What is it? If it's football related, then you feel a little better. If it's not, obviously, that's a red flag. So that's it's just one of many reasons why I don't think Mac Jones is going to be the pick. I just don't see the 49ers moving up and giving up as much as they did to get Mac Jones. And you know, I mean, this is not a factor in the 49ers thinking, Levin, but you could see it years from now. If they pick Mac Jones and he stinks and Justin Fields and Trey Lance go on to be good, that picture of Mac Jones with his shirt off and kind of the little beer belly he's got, that's going to live forever and it's going to say, the 49ers picked this guy over Mac, uh, over Justin Fields and over Trey Lance. And that would rightly cost them their job. Now, like I said, I don't think any of those three are going to be bad enough to cost anybody their job because they're falling into a perfect situation. So I don't, like I said, I, I don't think it's really 
possible for this draft pick to be a bust. Will I be upset if it's Mac Jones? Momentarily. Like, we're probably going to have a live... I, I will probably be live with you during the draft. Will I be upset? Yeah. But I do think Mac Jones is a pretty good prospect, and I do think he could be really good. And because of the what he's falling into, like, okay. Like, I'm still going to be excited shortly after because of what is there. I think he's probably going to be better than Jimmy. I do think he's basically Jimmy Garoppolo, slightly better and younger. That's basically what he is and cheaper. So like, I I don't see this being something where Mac Jones go and I go, you guys are idiots, blah, 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 blah. I'm so upset. And I just sit there and basically create a bias in my mind where I end up rooting against the guy. Some fans are going to do that. If Mac Jones is taken, they're going to sit there and they're going to allow their disappointment in the draft pick to make them sit there basically being Mr. Grumpy Gills to make a finding Nemo reference. They're going to be Grumpy Gills and they're just going to sit there and go, I knew he was bad. I knew it. every single time he misses a throw. Like, don't do that. Like the moment he's the draft pick, he's a niner. So yes, be disappointed, get over it and move on. Especially in between the period of the draft and when the season starts, like, Maybe he's bad, but we won't know until he actually gets on the field. So there's no reason to be all up at arms about it now. You know, this is the one, this is the honeymoon phase. At least enjoy that if he's not going to be good. Yeah, I mean, it is going to be what it's going to be. I will be pretty surprised if it is Mac Jones. Just because, you know, what do we know about the Niners in this regime? They don't like people who have distractions. They don't like people who do bad things in terms of criminal the ship Ruben Foster out when some teams would have sat around with him you know and then you look at other guys like they don't like these negative red flags like a DUI they don't like sitting and having that they don't they I think they do to some degree care about your character off the field some franchises don't give a shit about that period all they care about is winning They will sell their soul to win. And I don't think the Niners are quite in that. So I do think the DUI will end up weighing pretty heavily, which is why I'd be surprised if it ends up being him. I think you're right. I think part of the proof of that is, remember that story that Jimmy Garoppolo was dating a porn star or he was seen with a porn star? We didn't hear anything after that about who Jimmy Garoppolo was hanging out with and dating. And I'm pretty sure he didn't stop dating women. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if Kyle called Jimmy into his office and said, hey, figure out a way to be more discreet about this. These are not the headlines we want to see. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely Jimmy's. I got paid. I'm the man finally (laughs) after sitting behind Tom Brady and look who I pulled down, you know, feels great baby moment. Well, I mean, when I'm pretty sure Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have any trouble finding dates on a Saturday night, the guy, you know, just ask George Kittle about how handsome Jimmy G is. I'm sure he'd be happy to tell you. (laughs) But all right, you made me feel a little better because I was reading some of this stuff and I was starting to get a little concerned. So you've you've eased some of my concerns. Thank you very much. Once again, you need me. Yeah. Uh, Once again, I think it's time to exit this conversation. (laughs) That's going to do it for this edition of the show. As you hinted at, Levin. We are going to be live during the NFL draft. The Niners Nation podcast will be live on the air when the draft starts. We'll be talking about everything to do with the 49ers. We're going to have you, unfortunately. We're going to have Kyle Posey's going to jump in, Akash, Niner Nate. Hopefully, Leo's going to come on board as well. 
We are going to be there for you up to the Niners pick, and obviously we'll react once the pick is made. So you want to subscribe to the Niners Nation YouTube channel, feel free to do that now so you don't miss it. And it's going to be a hell of a time. Yeah, I just hope I can actually make it because as I've told you, I'm getting my second shot of the vaccine the day before. So I'm going to have like a a 24-hour window. If I get hit hard, from what I've heard of of the people that do get hit hard, I'm probably not going to be in the mood to talk to you. Don't Garoppolo me, man. You know, I need you to Justin Fields. He take that hit. He played against Clemson, man. Come on. I need you. I need you to come strong. It all depends. Like if I just feel a little under the weather, I'll be on. But, you know, I, I have a sister-in-law that was in bed for two straight days. Like, and it, I'm not negative on the vaccine. So don't even go there with me. Like it's worth it. It's just, I might be getting hit by a freaking Mack truck. Right before the Niners get hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> See how I did that? Oh, God. All right. Rate, review, subscribe despite that comment, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.